All right, so we are in Ezekiel chapter 4, and I want you to notice in verse 10, uh, often with the prophets, God would sometimes give them some unusual instructions of things that He would have them do to basically kind of illustrate a judgment that was coming for them. And so that's kind of what's happening right here. And we're not going to read the whole chapter again, but it says in verse 10, And, and thy meat uh, which shall eat shall be by weight of twenty shekels by day, uh, from time to time shalt thou eat it. Thou shalt drink also water by measure, the sixth part of an hen, from time to time thou shalt drink, and thou shalt eat it as barley cakes. Then shalt thou bake it with dung that cometh out of a man in their sight. Now that sounds pretty nasty right there. I don't like, and I don't fully understand making anything and using dung to cook it and all that. But notice how when God is, this is God giving Ezekiel instructions, and God's telling him, Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do. Notice what he says in verse 12, 13. And the Lord said, Even thus thou shalt the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles, whither I will drive them. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, my soul hath not been polluted from my youth up, even till now I have not eaten of that which dieth of itself, or is torn in pieces, neither came there abominable flesh into my mouth. Then he said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow's dung, for man's dung, and thou shalt prepare thy bread therewith. So basically, after he gets these instructions from God Himself, he just says, I can't do that. From my youth until now, I've never eaten anything that is polluted. I've never defiled myself in that way. And so, well, I don't want to do this. And so God ended up allowing him to use cow's dung instead of man's dung, you know, for this specific purpose. But I want to stop there and I want to go to another passage. Can anybody think of another time in the Bible where God spoke to somebody and told them, I want you to eat something. And I'm like, I can't do that. Everybody remember? Peter. Yes. In Acts chapter 10, uh, in verse 9, it says, On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the, on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they had made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him. As it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let it, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake again unto him the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. And if I might just throw this in there, I think it's interesting that three times with Peter this is done again. It was like Jesus still getting him back for the three times denial. You know, he did the love us on me more than these. He had to do it three times with Peter. Here he does this vision. And Peter, he's kind of being stubborn here too. God's telling him, kill and eat. Peter's like, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything unclean before. Now, this might be difficult for some of us to grasp. But I think most of us, we might be able to relate to a certain extent, but most of us here have probably never been a part of a religion with dietary laws unless you account abstinence from alcohol. Okay? I don't know about y'all, but everybody's getting all excited and I'm loving the, the boycotting of Bud Light. I support that 100%. But I've been boycotting Bud Light forever. When I, I grew up a Cub fan. Remember, you remember what Harry Carey used to say all the time? I'm a Cub fan and I'm a Bud fan. He used to, and I remember people used to wear shirts and said, I would get so mad because I was a Cub fan, but I was taught to hate beer. 
and I hate beer, and I've always hated Bud Light. And uh, so I guess if you count that as a dietary restriction, and I'm telling you, when it comes to drinking alcohol, I think I could relate that if I had a vision, I, I can't drink. I've, I'm 42 years old. I've never touched alcohol. I can't defile myself in that way. But here's the thing about that. When it comes to these type of things, you know, are we doing it for God or are we doing it for religious purposes? And the truth is, sometimes it's not always obedience to God that's motivating us. I mean, Ezekiel and Peter, I'm sure if you'd ask them, hey, why do you have these dietary laws? Well, it's because, you know, the love of God, we're following the word of God, all that kind of stuff. But then when God tells them, I want you to eat these things, they're like, I can't do that. So the truth is, it was kind of their religion. It was their tradition that was motivating them to do some of these things more than just the word of God. Because again, God's the one telling them not to do these things. And they're basically telling God, no. And obviously that's not right. But again, when you've gone that long without doing something, it is, it kind of becomes a religious thing. It kind of comes traditionally motivated and it made it a very big deal and questionable in their mind. And so in these stories, these men almost allowed their religious practices to stop them from obeying God. Their religious practices that weren't bad. Their religious practices that you know, were according to God's will during that time. And so what I want to do tonight, though, I want to talk about the good and the bad about religion and tradition. Okay? And I'm not sniping Brother Matt who asked a question this afternoon we were talking about because it, it goes along with this message. It illustrates uh, the question he asked very well what we were talking about. But before we go into this, let's look at some more, let's look at some scriptures uh, on religion and just to help us make sure we define this right. So first off though, the def dictionary definition of religion, one of them is religion as distinct from theology to godliness or real piety and practice consisting in the performance of all known duties to God and our fellow man in obedience to divine command or from love to God and his law. Now, so when, and when it comes to religion, okay, if somebody asks you, what is your religion today? You know, I would tell people I'm a Baptist and specifically I'm an independent fundamental Baptist and understand that when you're an independent fundamental Baptist, that implies more than just the Baptist distinctives. It implies even more than doctrine. There's a certain type of practice that you expect to see. You know, when somebody says, I'm an independent, fundamental, Baptist. If I hear him say Baptist, especially with a B instead of a P, I don't expect to hear contemporary music. I expect him singing hymns. You know, maybe some Southern gospel if they say Baptist. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, there's certain things that you kind of expect with that. Now, obviously... We don't meet all the criteria. You know, we don't support Israel. You know, we're, we're, we're different on eschatology. You know, there's a few things we do different here and there. But at the same time, you know, for the most part, our practices are very, very IFB, you could say. We, we have our own, you know, distinctions, I guess. But at the same time, so religion is. Religion is not just about doctrine, but it's about a practice. It's about things that you're actually doing. In Acts, and so let's look at all the mentions of religion in the Bible, because this is interesting. But in Acts 13.43, it says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, 
who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So when Paul and Barnabas are preaching to the Jews, it mentions specifically religious proselytes or people who had been converted to Judaism. And it refers to them as religious proselytes, people who took on the practices, the customs of the Jews. And then in Acts 26, 5, it says, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. So Paul is given his testimony and said, I used to follow the religion of the Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved. And you know what that was? That was a religion. And he followed that religion. What did that mean? That means he had certain practices that he followed. He had certain customs, rituals, things that he did as a Pharisee. So notice there's a connection to Judaism there too. In Galatians 1.13, it says, for you have heard of my conversation in the time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul's religious practice as a Jew was to persecute the church. And the Jews are still doing real good at their religion. You know, they're, they're always persecuting, you know, they're always, you know, through the news media, you know, persecuting churches and stuff like that. So notice, though, how it's always connected to Judaism. And notice how he calls it the Jews' religion. He doesn't refer to it as the Jews' beliefs or the Jews' faith or the Jews' scriptures because Paul thought he was still continuing to follow the Old Testament. He hadn't heard about dispensational truth yet. He hadn't heard about all that goofiness. Paul thought he was continuing to practice that Jews were supposed to. And you know what? He was. But the people that were persecuting him, they had a structure. They had traditions they had practices that were different, and it was. It was a religion. So, we've got two mentions in Acts, one in Galatians and verse 14. And profited in the Jews' religion, above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So, there's the fourth mention. And then, in James. In James, it says, If any man among you seem to be religious... And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, what some will do is they will say this is the only positive use of the word religion in the Bible. And, and it's true, but did you know it's also connected to the Jews? Because who's James written to? It's written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Now, it's written to believing Jews, you know, because it tells them, hey, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus with respect to persons. And so, obviously, if you have all these converted Jews to Christianity and, and understand, too, and I shouldn't even say converted Jews, I should say Jews who actually obeyed the law and followed Jesus Christ. But at the same time, Jews who obeyed the law and followed Christ we see there was a constant pull that they had from the Jews who were unsaved into following those practices and traditions that were actually contrary to the Word of God. And so, here in this passage, he's just letting them know, hey, if you seem to be religious, so you're, do, you're still doing all these things, you've got these dietary laws, you're dressing a certain way, but you can't even control your tongue, your religion's vain. You want to know what pure religion is? It's not all the stuff that we did before. Pure religion and undefiled before the Father, visiting the fatherless and widows, 
keeping yourself unspotted from the world. That's what pure religion is. So he's kind of almost saying this in rebuke to the religion that they came from. So all the uses of religion in the Bible are kind of connected with the Jews, including what we see in James. And so in many of what I often refer to as trendy churches today, they're actually very hostile towards the word religion and tradition. I remember the first time I, um, I kind of came in contact with what I would call a trendy, a, a fundamental Baptist going trendy. He started a church around the same time that I did. And I remember I watched their preview service, which is, you know, they were using all these trendy terms I'd never heard before. And they had their preview service. So are you against calling something a preview service? Yes, because it's just too trendy. Right, is it a sin? No, but <laughs> that's, that's what they called it. I remember at their preview service, he was up there ta- you know, telling them all these plans. And he's like, and you know what? We're definitely not a religion. And I remember I heard him say that and I'm like, so what does that mean? Because you guys are a Baptist church and I've always thought of Baptist as religion. And it is to a certain extent. They were calling themselves a Baptist church. They were making sure everyone knew we're not a religion. And it's because, you know, trendies have figured out that often there are, there are some major problems with religion. And, and they rightfully point these things out. There's often major problems with tradition. And they often rightfully point these things out. They'll get up. They will teach things that are accurate about religion and tradition But while a lot of these things are true, it doesn't change the fact that there are some very good things when it comes to religion and tradition. There are some benefits to it. I I personally believe that following religion and traditions can be very beneficial in your life as long as you keep them in their proper place. And that's what you need to get. I don't want us in here today, I'm not preaching this message to get everybody to throw out religion and to throw out tradition. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff that we do in this church that is not biblically commanded, but it's tradition. And and if you, but I'll tell you that's what it is. You want to know why we have a pulpit of wood? Tradition. And I'm all for it. You know why we're not going to get a glass pulpit? Tradition. I ain't got no Bible on that. And as we're standing on a pulpit of wood, that's not really Bible supporting it. You know, why do you wear a suit and tie? Tradition. That's the truth. Why do we sing the old hymns? Tradition. I'll admit it. And, you know, and, and I get people mad at me sometimes. But no, we, we sing these songs because they're in the Bible. No, they're not. They were all written the last 100, 200 years. Except for Be Thou My Vision. Did you know none of our hymns go back to the time of Christ unless it's one of the Scripture ones? So the, the truth is, we do it because of tradition. And, and you know what we're, do, and we're going to keep doing? We're going to keep singing these songs. We're, gonna, we're going to stick to that tradition so we don't become a bunch of contemporary, praise team, you know, skinny jean, 7-Eleven, whatever insulting names we can come up with. We don't, want, we don't want to turn our church into that. And so we're going to stick to these traditions. And let me tell you, tradition is not wrong as long as you keep it in its proper place. It's very important that you get that. We'll explain that place here, here shortly. Because it is true. Many people have elevated their religion and tradition above the Word of God. And the Jews certainly did that, didn't they? The Jews for sure did that. And any time, even independent fundamental Baptists, if we elevate tradition and religion above the Word of God, we're going to get in trouble. But listen, 
We don't need to remove religion and tradition from our lives. And I think a good way to illustrate it is this way. For example, wives. Wives are a wonderful thing. Okay? But did you know that God ordained that wives be in submission to their husbands? Okay? Now, in our culture today, wives are not often in submission to their husbands. Does that mean we just eliminate marriage and throw wives out? No, of course not. You know what we need? We still need wives, but we need them in their proper place. We need them fulfilling their proper role. The solution to happy families is not getting rid of wives and just shacking up, you know, because then I guess it doesn't matter, you know, if you submit because technically you're not married. No, because then that's fornication. That's it. No, wives are a good thing, but they do need to stay in their place. And getting rid of wives is not the solution. And so while the word religion can probably be used in a lot of different ways, it would seem clear that the way the Bible uses it, it's a word that describes one's, you could say, ceremonial observance or just regular practice with whatever they believe in. And what are, what are some of ours? You know, some of our religion, you could say, some of our practice is we go to church Sunday morning, we go to church Sunday night, we go to church Wednesday night, we give tithes and offerings, we go soul winning, we read our Bibles, we pray. I mean, we've got a lot of different religious practices. You know, we pray before dinner, pray, you know, pray before we eat. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do as Christians, as independent fundamental Baptists, that are, they are, these things do not save us. Do we think any of those things get us saved? Obviously, no, we go out and preach regularly, religiously, when we go out soul winning, that going to church doesn't get you saved. So then why do you do it all the time? It's our religion. It's our, it's our practice. And let me tell you, it's a major problem when you start teaching that those religious practices are what's safe. That's, that, that, that's dead wrong. And you know, there are people out there who preach that. Now, what we don't need to do is act like it's evil to have religious practices. But it is evil if you're teaching those religious practices safe because you've got them in the wrong place. And so it's like you've got people who teach wrong on repentance and they confuse people on the gospel. That doesn't mean the doctrine of repentance is not a good doctrine. You know, and obviously the doctrine of repentance for salvation is important to have that right. But did you know even repenting of sins is very important as long as you keep it in this right place. And if you keep it in the right place, it's good. You know what we're not going to do because some people put repentance of sins in the wrong place and make it like a requirement for salvation. We're not going to throw out that doctrine of repenting of sins and teaching people to turn from their sins. No. We're going to hang on to it. We're just going to keep it in its proper place. And if we keep it in its proper place, we'll be fine. And if we, but if we eliminate it, it's going to create a lot of problems. So, while it isn't always fair to hold someone's use of the word to one specific definition, a lot of people use the word religion in a lot of different ways. Uh, and some people probably misuse the word. But I want to be clear tonight, I am referring to just the regular practices that we participate in. Even things that we don't do based on our beliefs. Part of my religion, I don't drink. But, you know, part of my religion, I don't cuss. Part of my religion, you know, there, I, you know, I dress like a man. You know, part of my religion, mean, there's a lot of things I do as part of my religion, you could, you could say. And I do, I think it's important to note I believe that doctrine and religion aren't necessarily 
synonymous, even though preachers often put those things together. So again, don't go crazy with what somebody says about religion. People often mean different things. But there are a lot of doctrines that we believe in that you could say we share with many other religions. There's things that we agree with the Catholics on, even. You know, there's probably a couple things. We might even agree with one or two things with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know what that is. But uh, and if, if you tell me what it is, I might rethink it. But either way, I'm sure we agree on something. There's got to be something we agree on. But, you know, most religions are full of all kinds of heresy. And we don't, so we don't want to just use a generic term like Christian or religious. You know, so we call ourselves Baptist because of its distinctives. And so we are Baptist in doctrine. No one can claim we aren't. We follow all the Baptist distinctives. So while doctrine is super important and having certain doctrine wrong can lead you to hell. You know, you get the deity of Christ wrong. You get gospel wrong. You've got some real problems. But we all agree religion and tradition are a separate thing. Okay, so can we all just get this in your head? We're going to talk about some of the good things about religion and tradition, but religion and tradition will not get you to heaven. Can't get you to heaven. No religion, no tradition can get you to heaven. There are certain doctrines that if you... If you hear them and you believe them, they will save you, like the doctrine of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's a doctrine. I'm separating that from religion. So you can join whatever good religion you want and participate in all their religious practices, and you can observe all of their traditions, but we would all agree those things will not save anyone if they've not believed on Christ. Somebody can come in here. They can go souling with us. They can get baptized. They can take the Lord's Supper. They could dress like us. They could sing the hymns with us. But if they've never put their faith and trust in Christ, if they're trusting in being a Baptist to go to heaven, we would all agree they're going to hell, wouldn't we? For sure, we would all agree with that. And so many people have grown up independent fundamental Baptists. They know, know the culture. They know the doctrine. But they never put their faith and trust in Christ. And while being good Baptists, they still weren't saved. That is very possible and very common. So we've got two extremes in churches across America today that are both wrong. We have one group putting too much emphasis on religion and tradition, and you have another group throwing it all out. And I'm telling you, both are wrong. And in the group that's throwing out the tradition and religion, they're just replacing it all with carnality. You know, they're just going along with the, whatever music the world's putting out. You know, that's the stuff that they're, they're doing. And so the truth is, there is some value to religion and tradition as long as you keep them in their proper place. And so I want to talk about what those things are after kind of that long introduction there. But first thing we need to remember too, though, is for, never, ever let religion or tradition trump the Word of God. Never. It says in Matthew 15, 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, folks, is, it, is that a bad tradition? Is it wrong? Do any, of you, do any of you all tell your kids to wash their hands before they eat? Okay? And, you know, and you'd be pretty mad at your kids if you're like, You know what? The disciples didn't wash their hands, and I'm not going to wash my hands. Uh, did you know, as a family... You are allowed, you have the authority to start some of your own traditions. So you can do that. You know, as a church, we can have some of our own traditions. We can do that. 
There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, we have a lot of our own traditions in this church. But as long as we don't act like they're the Word of God, we're okay. And when people do that, that's when it becomes a, pro, that's when it becomes a problem. And notice what it says in verse 3. But He answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father and mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father and mother, he should be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You know what Jesus did here? He's like, hey, you all are talking about your traditions right now. He's like, you know what? Let's talk about your traditions. How about your tradition that you have that causes you to violate the command of honoring your father and mother? He said, that's a problem right there. He says, ye he hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Are commandments of men wrong? No. But you can't teach it as Bible doctrine. You can't do that. When you do that, you cross a line, and it's especially bad if that tradition causes one to violate Scripture. And let me tell you, religion is full of this, and even independent fundamental Baptist churches are full of this, and we've got to watch out for this. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I've probably never crossed the line before when it comes to this. But, you know, for example, there are traditional practices that I'm just going to say they are not sins. They are not sins that go on in Baptist churches. For example, the tradition, the religious practice of an altar call. We were talking about that today. That is not a sin. Okay. And I, I know, I know the Bible teaches altars are supposed to be made of stone and, you know, there's not supposed to be steps. I, I know all that. Okay. I've never met a Baptist that thought the stage was an altar where you come and offer sacrifices literally. Okay. It's just a spiritual concept because in the Bible they had altars where they would often go pray and in church people often come to the front to pray. It's a tradition. You can, and listen, as a church, if we wanted to, we could start a tradition where we go pray in the basement. We could start a tradition where we go pray in the attic. We could start a tradition where we go pray outside. Did you know we can do that? We're allowed to pray wherever we want as a church. And if we do as a church, we're like, you know what? You know, we want to have a prayer room in the church. Do you know we can have something like that? And, and again, somebody might call it an altar. Somebody might call it the mourner's bench. At the end of the day, let's just recognize it for what it is. It's a tradition. But that doesn't make it bad. That doesn't make it a sin. Now, obviously, some of the manipulation tactics that are used during altar calls, that's terrible. And I have been through some awful, awful altar calls, and I'm not going to tell stories, where horrible manipulation took place. That, is, that for sure is wrong. But again, that practice itself, it's just a tradition it's not a sin. Obviously, you know, there's, we were talking about, there are situations where that could be an effective tool, where that might be needed. But what ended up happening, it became something that was required and demanded for every service. And it's been going on for years now, and it's just, it's just a tradition. But, and so the thing is, I don't believe churches are sinning that do that. But here's the thing, too. I also don't think it's the most effective method. 
Now, what that will cause a lot of people to do is get really upset and it's like, you know what? I'm going to prove from the Bible you got to have an altar call in every service. And, and then you know what they do? They start teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that's not right. And you say, how would they even do that? i tell you exactly how they will do that. You know what they will do? They will go and they will read the story where Abraham built an altar, Isaac built an altar, Jacob built an altar, and then they'll go find somebody in the Bible who goes bad. You know what we never see? Never see him building an altar. That's what happens when you lose the altar, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, the Bible, sometimes it says more with what it doesn't say than with what it says. I've heard that come from the mouth of a preacher before. <laughs> that is so dumb. Okay, and that, that's, how, that's, how, that's how they do it. I'm not, I'm not going to go. I, I could do some invitations. Not going to do all that. But what people just need to do is just recognize what is it's a it's a tradition. You can have your tradition. What you can't do is demand that everyone do it the same way. And let me tell you, in our church, there are there are certain traditions I want because there's there's also things that I don't want to happen. But I can't demand I cannot demand that and go prove from the Bible that everybody should use Bible truth hymns. I think we need to put out use hymnals only put out by independent fundamental. Baptist, amen. I mean, I, I personally think that's best. But if I go to a church and they're using like great hymns of the faith, I don't think that's independent fundamental Baptist. It's usually Bob Jones churches that use those. They're not even King James only. You know, or uh, I don't know. What, what's the North Valley one? Songs and Revival? Mike Zachary. He helped put that one together. That guy turned out to be bad. You know, I, I'm not going to go condemning everybody for what, you know, people can use whatever hymn book they want. But, you know, we can have our own traditions as long as we don't act like it's Bible. But as soon as tradition causes one to go against the Word of God, the tradition should immediately vanish. Immediately. But notice, too, Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't condemn their tradition of washing their hands. That was nothing wrong. He was just showing them their hypocrisy. Because they're making a big deal about their traditions, their traditions of the elders, when some of their traditions actually cause them to violate the Word of God. So the other thing, never pretend your, pretend your traditions are equal with the Scripture. Uh, Matthew 5, 9, 15, 9, But in vain they do worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We have to be accurate when it comes to things that we hold dear on whether they are based on the authority of the Scripture or tradition. And folks, there are things that I hold dear that I believe are Bible, and there are also things that I hold dear that I believe are tradition. And again, when it comes to our music, that is very important to me. I hold it dear, but I also believe it's tradition. We do. We do traditional conservative hymns, and that's important to me. That's special to me. But I'm not going to act like the Bible says, you know, only Bible truth hymns. And I'm tired of watching people pull weird things out of the Scripture to prove our music sounds like it did in the Bible days. We don't know for sure. Okay? We, we really don't. And, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to church services, you know, how we do it, how we structure our service, how we dress, okay? I don't want to become just one of these casual churches where I'm up here in Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and just, you know, standing behind a bistro table just like we're shooting the breeze and having a talk at a coffee shop. I don't want to do that. Okay, I, I, I don't. Is there anything in the Bible that says you can't dress casual in church? I, 
I could probably twist some things to, and get a principle out of there that we could use, possibly. But at the end of the day, no, I, I can't prove that. It, listen, if we have to always wear a suit and tie to preach a sermon, then it doesn't change if we're at camp. It doesn't change if I'm preaching a sermon on a camping trip. We ought to do it that way all the time. No, it's tradition, ladies and gentlemen. Let's just call it what it is. It's tradition. And as long as we don't make it equal with the Bible, it's okay. And too many preachers, the things they do to try to make it like it's just command in the Bible is wrong. No, it's tradition. But tradition isn't always bad. And so tradition, it doesn't carry the same authority, but we don't have a right to put an authority on something that's illegitimate. We don't have the right to do that. Hey, hey, when it comes to the gospel, we can get up all day long and we can tell people this is what it is. The Bible tells us when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to what sin and what isn't sin. If we've got a Bible verse that says, thus saith the Lord, we've got the authority of the scripture backing us up. When it comes to the fact that we don't allow women preachers, that is not tradition. That's Bible. That is Bible. People act like, well, traditionally, men have always been the pastors. No, biblically. Men have always been the pastors and leaders in the church. That's, that's, we have a command. Okay? My, my short hair that I have, it's not just because traditionally men have had short hair. No, that's Bible that says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. So again, there, there's a lot of things that we preach that we have the authority of the Scripture and we should yell about it and scream about it all day long. But some things are tradition. And so, here's where I do believe religion and tradition can be helpful. And, it's, remember, and remember, as long as we keep it in its proper place. It's not, it does not carry the same way to Scripture. It is not an authority. If it goes against the Scripture, we ought to throw it out in a heartbeat. If we find out something we are doing is contrary to Scripture, I don't care if we've been doing it for, since we started this church, we ought to throw it out every single time. Because Scripture always trumps tradition. But let's not throw out all religion and tradition. They can be helpful. So here's where it's helpful. First off, doing things religiously, doing things or making them a habit, it can keep us from going astray. Think about it. Ezekiel and Peter for so long had this religious practice of not eating certain things that it was, it was difficult for them to go eat something that went against their religion, even when it was God telling them to do it. And, 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 I'm just, you know, and I believe Peter, you know, and it was just a vision. He didn't even physically eat these things. But, but you know, either way, you know, these guys, they got things right. Or, you know, you know, Zeke kind of made a deal with God. Or God made a deal with him, you could say. But, but either way, you know, re- you know, religion and tradition, it is a good safeguard to keep us from getting out of line. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So Paul says, hey, keep the traditions, not just the ones I wrote about, but no, the ones I told you about. And he said in chapter 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Did you know that we should watch out for somebody who comes into this church and just always has to be contrary to whatever our practice is? 
If our practice is to go out soul winning at 1.30, but they just insist, oh, I'm going to go out on 2.30 in my own... Something's wrong with that person. You know, why can't you unite around these things? They always just have to do their own thing. They've got to do things their own way. They just refuse to submit to any man. They, they, and there's always people like that. They come into church... They just they don't want to follow the rules. They don't want to follow the customs. They don't like rules. They don't like dress standards. They don't like a lot of those practices. I mean, a lot of churches, they do. They have, you know, we have rules. If you're going to preach a sermon, I want you to at least wear a tie. You know, when you're leading singing, you know, we, we want you to look and dress a certain way. Well, I don't see in the Bible where I have to do that. I don't see a Bible command either, but you know what it is? It's our tradition, and you don't need to walk disorderly and try to just go do your own thing. That's not right. I'm not telling you you violated the Bible. Or a specific Bible command, but I'm saying we can have traditions in this church, and Paul told them follow those traditions. Because we never want to underestimate our flesh and its constant pull towards carnality that it's under, folks. It is it's hard to stay away from certain sins. It is so easy to backslide. It's just a it is natural for us to backslide. It is the most natural thing in the world to backslide. And religious practices and observances can help keep ourselves disciplined to the point where it would be difficult for us to do certain things like it was for Ezekiel and Peter. It was weird for me not being in church last week at five and having the evening off. We went into a restaurant at five o'clock. It's like, this doesn't feel right. You know why? My tradition. I, I remember the first time I ever did that. I remember we went to my, my sister's church yeah, a long time ago. And I preached there that day. We had two services. They had an early service that day. And I remember in, back then we had church at 6 o'clock. I was still at my dad's church. And I remember we went to a restaurant at 6 o'clock. And I'm, and I'm in another town, but I'm thinking, I hope nobody sees me here. You know, I'm out eating when, I, when, it's, when it's church time. Because folks, the way I was raised, you didn't miss church. The only, the only excuse you ever had to miss church is because you were like deathly sick. And people use that excuse so much in our church, nobody ever really believed anybody when they were sick. So the thing is, you, like didn't, you, you didn't even want to get sick because everybody's going to think you were a liar. So well, that's bad motivation. It's not the best motivation. The best motivation is because we love the Lord. But you know what? I'm glad that it's hard for me to not be in church. I'm glad that I can't be comfortable not being in church. It's a good thing because I'm, you know, we're all bent on backsliding. And so having some, a practice that's that religious. And, you know, and again, we shouldn't brag about these things. You know, if you haven't missed a church service in 13 years, no, no, we'll tell everybody about that. Don't brag about that. But you know what? If you haven't missed a church service in 13 years... And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not feeling the best. You're probably going to power through it and go anyway. Because you want to keep that going. Somebody was just telling me about McDonald's worker. Was it a McDonald's worker or Burger King worker? that got like this huge bonus. Was it you telling me about that, Jason? Yeah, Burger King worker. How much money did you get? 400 k because he had worked several years and never missed a day. And it's like, good night. You know, and it's like, you know, and the thing is, after a while, it doesn't matter how you feel. Remember, you know, remember Lou Gehrig? He got the award for playing the most consecutive baseball games. After a while, it just got to the point where it's just like, I'm playing even if I don't feel good. I'm playing even if I'm probably not going to help the team because I've got to keep the streak going. 
You know, then Cal Ripken, he ended up beating that. You know, that was probably the same thing with him. I got I got to keep this going. And so understand, while that's kind of carnal, it can it keeps us from getting backslidden. It can keep us from getting out of church. We were talking about that with soul winning today. Again, the, the primary motivation for soul winning ought to be loving the Lord and being obedient to God. Second, of all, second to that, I think, should be just loving souls. But you know what? Sometimes we don't love God like we should. We don't care about souls like we should. And you know what? Sometimes we, you know, any excuse, any, anything that motivates you to go soul winning, you should use it. And sometimes it's carnal things like that. You know, I determine I'm not going to miss. I determine I'm going to get this many people saved. Whatever you got to do to motivate yourself and just make it a religious thing where it's hard for you not to do that. that that's okay. And traditions, religion, it can get you to that point where it is. It's just, it's just unnatural for you to not do it. And think, think about all the things that we try to do that is, it's hard for us to do them. That you almost have to force yourself to do them. Wouldn't it be better if it was hard for you not to do those good things? And, and you know what gets you to that point? Is doing these things, as we often say, religiously. Doing them religiously. These are often big, big motivators. And so, religious practices and observances, they can keep you disciplined to the point it would be difficult for you to do certain things just like it was for Ezekiel and Peter. I can't imagine eating that. I, I've never done that. You know, never underestimate your flesh and its pull towards carnality. And so the danger, though, of this, is that if it becomes just about religion, if it becomes just about tradition, remember, it's okay as long as it stays in its proper place. But the danger of this, you can become religious about all the wrong things, too. And we don't, we don't want to do that. And so, you know, there's something to be said, too, for something that has stood the test of time. You know, for example, why do we soul win the way that we do? I mean, is the, is the, only, is the only way to give the gospel to people, you know, going door to door? I mean, obviously, there's lots of ways that you could do it. You know, when it comes to your typical spiel that you do, do we have to do it that way? Do we really have to say, if you died, are you don't sure you go to heaven? I mean, you can change it up if you want to, but you know what? Why not use something that has been tested and tried and true? Do you have to use the Romans road? I mean, I think you could just stay in John if you wanted to. I think you could get somebody saved just staying in John. But, you know, traditionally, we practice the Romans road. Why are we always wanting to reinvent everything? Why are we always wanting to change everything up? There's something to be said for the fact that this has worked for a really long time Let's keep doing it. How about the King James Bible? You've got all these clowns coming along saying, I think we need to update the Bible. Why? This one's worked for 400 years. I mean, we 400 years. It has worked. It has been tested. It has been true. It has proven itself to be good and effective in the Word of God. And why in the world do I want to try something new? There, you know, even if it did, even if it was equivalent even if it used more modern terms that meant the exact same thing, even if theoretically you made it happen, where you made a modern English version that truly was equivalent to the King James, even if you did it theoretically, again, you know, there's some, you know, I wouldn't, why would I just immediately want to embrace that? I want something to be tested first 
in our King James Bible has been thoroughly tested. Do you know there's values, there's value in being united on a version. Th- think about the 23rd Psalm. You know how many people have Psalms 23 memorized? And guess what? It's always in King James. You ever hear a group of people quoting Psalms 23? It's always King James. What would happen today, though, if a lot of people quoted Psalms 23 together? Can you imagine all of us if we all had our own versions and we, we all couldn't do Scripture reading together? Isn't there so, is there's something to be said for being able to unite around something? All doing the same thing. All being able to say, say the same thing. It's important when I'm up here reading the Scriptures, especially when I'm emphasizing certain words and phrases that we're all seeing the same thing. And the fact that we have been using this for so long, it has been tested, it has worked for so long. Again, my King James only position, it is more than just tradition. It is a lot more than just tradition. But I will say though, it is also tradition too. Tradition is is one of many things that keeps me King James because of the fact it has been tested and proven and it has worked for a very long time. There's no reason to think it will not keep working. There's security in trusting in something that has been greatly used for 400 years. And there's every reason to be skeptical of the new versions coming out. You know, you've got people fighting over the Spanish Bible. And I don't speak Spanish, so I don't have a strong opinion on that. But understand, too, that typically it's like your old IFB types that are stuck with the 1960. Well, part of that's because that's what they've been using for 60 years. And so you can see where tradition, it's hard, it's hard to break from that, where the new one, the 2010, it's very new. I can understand being skeptical of that. I, I can understand being nervous about changing from something they've used for a very long time. Now, it does seem like a lot of your newer Christians, they've got no problem with embracing the 2010. Well, it's because they don't have that tradition. But again, uh, at the end of the day, we'll figure out who's right eventually. 50 years from now, I promise you, we will see a difference between the 1960 Spanish churches and the 2010 Spanish churches. Eventually, we will see the fruit. We will see which one has the better doctrine, who has the better practices, who's still doing things right. And you know what? That will tell us what we need to know. And let me tell you, there is a difference between your King James-only churches and your NIV churches. There is a big difference between your King James-only churches and your King James-preferred churches. It's a big difference. And so understand, you know, there, that, there's, there's some security there. Never let tradition or religion or tradition get in the way or replace your need of a relationship with God. Because you know, all religious disciplines in the world can't replace walking in the Spirit. Okay? Walking in the Spirit is the most important thing. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you are walking in the Spirit, you will not sin. Y'all get that? You will not sin ever when you're walking in the Spirit. But here's the thing. Walking in the Spirit, we forget to do that. We go right back into the flesh sometimes. And so understand, if we, you know, what you could say religion and tradition does, it kind of puts up safeguards in our lives. If I just determine religiously, I am never going to participate in this type of activity. I am never going to do this type of activity and I am going to remove certain things from my house. I'm going to keep certain things 
in my life, and, and, and I do those things, those will protect me for those times when I start to get carnal. Because I'll have those safeguards as kind of reminders. And then if I'm constantly getting pulled towards those things, if I'm constantly being tempted, that's what I'm going to know. Hey, I need to get my relationship with God back. But again, religiously doing those things will help. For example, in the soul we were talking about, our motivation should be right when it comes to these things. But either way, anytime you go soul winning, you're doing a good thing, no matter what. And sometimes we do. It's okay for you to just force yourself to go soul winning because that's what you're supposed to do. I will be the first one to admit, sometimes I go soul winning just because that is what I am supposed to do. But you know, because the thing is, if I only go when I feel like it, if I only go when I'm walking in the Spirit, then you know what? I could get backslidden and completely get out of the habit of doing that. But here's the thing. Did you know when you're going soul winning, it's a good way to get you walking in the Spirit. Because, I don't know, there's just something spiritual about walking around with the Bible and preaching to people. So it, it helps you uh, across the board. A lot of times, too, when I go soul winning, I wasn't feeling that spiritual before, but I start feeling spiritual when I'm doing it. And we talked about, we were talking about that this afternoon. Even though there's been lots of times I didn't feel like going soul winning, I have never gone soul winning before. And after I got done, I thought, I wish I hadn't gone. I, I never feel that way, ever. But I certainly was feeling that way before. Well, then why'd you go? I went religiously. That's not the best reason. But you know what? It's better than not doing it. Better than not doing it. You know, a lot of times, I don't feel like doing right. But I do it. Why? Because it's what I'm supposed to do. You know, and, you know there, and me not doing it could have a lot of consequences. You know, when it comes to loving your wife, when it comes to loving your kids, sometimes you might not feel like it. But you know what you do? You do it because you're made a vow. You do it because it's your responsibility. You do it because you're right. Not just because you feel like it. That's why a lot of people get divorced today. I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. So what? You made a promise. You made a vow. It's your wife. You stick to it. Well, I don't think that's good motivation. No, that's what you need. It's, you need to do. You're sinning if you don't do that. And you need to force yourself to do it because it's the right thing to do. And you know, eventually, I, do. I think you'll start feeling like it. Unless you're looking for that escape hatch. Don't do that. So never let religion or tradition replace your need for a relationship with God. And while anyone can claim they're walking in the Spirit and that they don't need religion, just understand that makes it so no one can hold you accountable for anything. And that's why a lot of people do that. Because they just don't want anybody holding them accountable. And things like your church attendance, Bible reading, prayer life, these are, these are all things that can be clear indicators of whether or not you're walking in the Spirit. Because guess what? Did you know you can go soul winning and not be walking in the Spirit? You can, you can be reading your Bible, praying, and not be walking in the Spirit. But did you know you can't be walking in the Spirit and not be going soul winning, not be reading your Bible, not be going to church? You know you can't do that? So, so just keep doing all those things. We can do all these religious things and still not be walking the Spirit, but you can't be walking the Spirit when you aren't doing those things. Just mark it down. And so our religious practices should be motivated by love for God. And when our love fails, we don't make things better by disobedience. We actually make things worse. And religion and tradition can help keep us doing the right thing even when our relationship isn't right. And listen, if your relationship isn't right, you need to work on it. You need to get that right. 
You need to get your spirit right. You need to do these things. It's only a matter of time. If your relationship isn't right, if your motivation isn't right, eventually it's all going to fall apart. But at the same time, it's only going to accelerate it if when your relationship's not right, you are disobeying God and you're violating His commands. That's only going to make things, make things worse. And so, you know, if, if my wife and I, if our relationship isn't going real well, okay, that is not an excuse for me to go out cheating on my wife. If I do that, it's going to make it really hard to restore that relationship. So even if our relationship isn't real good, I still got to make sure I'm doing certain things and I'm not doing certain things. Otherwise, later on, when I feel like getting that relationship right, it's going to be really hard if I was violating those things before. But if I kept providing, if I kept being a good husband, if I kept being faithful, even when I didn't feel like it, I can fix that relationship a lot easier. Where if I go and I'm just throwing all the rules, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to act like I'm loving my wife and I'm not loving her today. No, I'm going to do irreversible damage in that situation. And so sin has a negative effect no matter what your spiritual life is like. And the consequences can be devastating. And so having religious practices and traditions that are part of your life, they can only protect you from crossing certain lines. But it also, it can help us identify the fact that our relationship with God may be suffering. If, if you know, I don't want to just read through my Bible every year so I can tell people I read through my Bible every year. Because you can read through your Bible in a year and still not be right with God. But you know what? If, you, if I go a year and I don't read my Bible through that's a good reminder hey what's going on what were my priorities in the last year you know if and you know again when it comes to your church attendance when it comes to your giving whatever it comes to whatever it is that you believe god wants you to do you know have indicators and you know pay attention to those things have goals and stuff in there that way if you don't do some of these things it'll be a clear red flag to you that hey something's wrong i probably need to fix something I need to get something right. And so, you know, the bottom line is we don't want to throw out all the things that are religious and tradition. We just need to keep them in their proper place. And if we'll do that, I believe they will protect us. It's not like we're trying to make a fence around the Torah, which is a kind of a Jewish concept where they had like all these extra rules that they made to keep them from violating certain rules. And again, that in and of itself is not that bad, except they were making these things equal with the Word of God. And some of those things were causing them to actually violate the, the Word of God. And, 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 and they were also trying to force them on other people. But if you want to have some of these things for your life to help you stay in line, by all means, do that. And I believe it will help you greatly. So uh, religion and tradition... There's definitely good and bad. Some people will never get some things right because they're so married to their religion. I talked to our first service we ever had here. There was a Lutheran man I had talked about sewing. I believe was saved. We talked to him before he came, before our first service. He came to the first service, loved the, loved the service. I went and did a follow-up visit with him, and he explained to me how much he loved our church and how uh, it reminded him of like the old school Lutheran that he came from, and his da- but his dad was a Lutheran pastor, and he wrote me a letter saying, you know what, I've been Lutheran my whole life. My dad was a Lutheran. I feel like I just I can't switch to Baptist. And and it was like he knew what we were preaching was right, but boy, he had that tradition, 
And it, he let it trump the Word of God, and that was too bad. But, and we can't, we can't let that happen. Religion and tradition are good, though, as long as we keep them in their proper place. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, pray this message was a help to everyone. I pray you'll help all of us to uh, put into practice these, these good things, Lord, in our life. I pray we'll always keep our motivation right, the Lord, when it's not. I pray that we'll have the safeguards in our life and indicators uh, ready to uh, point out where we need to get right. And I pray you'll help us to just be faithful and uh, be in this thing for the long haul. In your name we pray. Amen.